Welcome to the J Crypto Audio Experience. First off, thanks for coming. Second off, I want to congratulate you for investing in the education of blockchain, cryptocurrency, NFTs, decentralized finance, all those terms that when you first hear you go, what the hell does that mean? Blockchain is a technology shift, guys. Once in a lifetime opportunity. This is Malibu beachfront property, $1,000 per the acre. Now, to take advantage of it properly, you got to invest in that education. And that's what you're here for. That's what I'm here for. So let's learn together. All right, Jay Crypto here once again, guys and girls. And today I wanted to talk about a few different things, which, you know, I haven't had a chance to touch on in the past couple weeks. But basically with the ongoing clips and videos that I share with you guys of Michael Saylor talking about Bitcoin and explaining it, I want to add some things that I feel as though need to be said. So let's get right into it. First of all, Bitcoin, okay, digital gold, right? I believe, and look, this is not a conspiracy theorist talking to you right now. I am definitely far from a conspiracy theorist. But I believe that Bitcoin was something that the central banking system and government, heck, even the people weren't prepared for. And you could call it a innovation that may disrupt some of these frameworks. You can call it a attack on government and banking's leverage. You can call it a few different things. However, for the purpose of this podcast, I wanted to share with you some thoughts about it. So if we know about Bitcoin's fundamentals, then we can proceed with this logic. You see, something very interesting is happening with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a... Well, it's an asset. Now, this is one of the first assets in history that gives people leverage. Okay, it gives people peer-to-peer leverage. People did not ask for this leverage. They did not ask for it. Yet, Bitcoin just appeared. And usually what would happen in governments, in society is that an asset would appear that gave people leverage. Now, that underlying asset could be seized and controlled. You think of real estate? You think of gold? You think of oil, commodities, you think of stocks, you think of businesses. What's very interesting about Bitcoin 
once again, nobody asked for it. And here it is. It gives leverage to the people against banks and governments. Now, the reason why it gives people leverage... Or rather, it takes leverage away from governments is due to its inherent nature of being an asset falling outside of the government's reach. This is not a U.S. dollar we're talking about. This is an asset that you can buy with U.S. dollars. Very interesting. Let's take it a step farther. The reason why it gives people leverage over the banking system Well, number one, you can leverage your Bitcoin. Number two, Bitcoin is an asset with a limited supply. Therefore, if anything, it's deflationary. And the reason why it's deflationary is because people can lose their Bitcoin. And unlike gold, where it still exists in the world, if somebody loses their Bitcoin, loses their seed phrase, loses all chances at getting at their Bitcoin that's been lost, sent it to the wrong address, it's never going to be found again. It's gone. Forever. Therefore, a deflationary asset will go up in price against the U.S. dollar as long as the U.S. dollar becomes inflationary. Since the U.S. dollar was taken off the gold standard, it just so happens that the U.S. dollar's value continues to go down due to the unlimited supply that we can print and make more of. It's a fiat. So banks use this fiat and they create interest out of thin air by loaning out fiat. Some banks even take it a step farther and buy insurance policies where a person will pay them a premium every single month and they get enough people to pay them the premium where if one person, you know, has a car accident or dies or what whatnot, boom, they have enough premiums to make profit on top of paying for that incident. So, where am I going with this? Well, if you think about it, since you can leverage this deflationary asset, which will continue to go up in price, everybody that's held a Bitcoin for four or more years has always been in profit. Especially in these early days, as the price continues to surge and hold its value against the U.S. dollar. Well, what's interesting is you can use it as an infinite bank through leveraging your Bitcoin and you won't have to pay taxes. So if you have $50,000 worth of Bitcoin after a $5,000 investment, after appreciation, you can actually leverage your $50,000 of Bitcoin and gain $25,000 of USD and put it back into Bitcoin. Or you can just keep it into USD 
and pay the interest off. And since you borrowed $25,000, now you have $25,000 of debt, that's what they call it, which is non-taxable since it's taken out as a loan. So instead of selling your $50,000 worth of Bitcoin, you just took out $25,000 against your $50,000 and you didn't pay any capital gains. So it's a way to avoid the taxes legally, of course, for now. The reason why governance is also something that crypto is affecting is because on the blockchain, everything is clear and transparent. So yes, there's no dirty politics. There's no fake elections. Um, Not saying there has been in any certain places. I'm just saying that in the past, certain countries will have elections and yeah, they're, they're pretty much a joke because whether they're third world countries and there's a dictator in power and it's, it's supposed to be a democracy and, you know, the reality is they didn't win the election because all the people voted for a different person and then they won it. The blockchain does clear this up because there's transparency on every single vote that's done on the blockchain. Yeah, that's, that's true. But the reason why it takes leverage away from the government is actually a lot more simpler. You see, the way that the government works, the way that governance is designed, is to have this hierarchy of people that can represent the people. So you elect officials to represent you. But the blockchain can take this to very communal size matters. For example, if you have a law that's going to affect a whole state. You can have everyone in the state vote on the blockchain for that law. If you have a law that's going to affect a whole town, you can have everyone on the blockchain vote on that law. If you have a law that's going to affect a certain neighborhood, you can have everyone in that neighborhood vote on that law. Through the use of cryptocurrency, through the use of blockchain, It also takes governance to a business level by holding the tokens that a business has. You can vote on what you want that business to do. This means that if you love a coffee shop in your neighborhood, buying their tokens might be a smart idea because you may be able to get a free coffee every day and hold an asset. However, the other reason why it's so smart is because effectively, you can kind of have a say in what you want that coffee shop to do through governance, through blockchain. So it's only natural for people to create these micro communities and micro banks because the tools are no longer in the government's hands since there's voting. Regulations don't even exist yet for DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. It's going to be increasingly harder to regulate DAOs as it's a self-run digital organization. 
how do you regulate something like that? If you don't know who the players are, well, you need some transparency. You need to know every single wallet that's involved in a DAO. You need to know every single person that's involved in the DAO. And you need to shut them down individually. So it's interesting because you have governments and banks. Now, Bitcoin gives leverage to the people. So if the governments and the banks try to take that leverage away from the people by taking away their Bitcoin, it's very hard to do. In fact, we've seen in other countries, it's, it's literally the counter, the reverse. What tends to happen is it just makes people innovate more products that make it easier to get Bitcoin. So that doesn't work. Then you have governments and banks. What happens if they buy all the Bitcoin? What happens if they try to control Bitcoin supply? Well, the truth is, this is probably, you know, a good idea because it will create a lot of wealth for the governments and banks. However, it still doesn't fix the problem of how Bitcoin gives a lot of leverage back to the people against their governments and against their banks. Think about it. Governments and banks are already buying Bitcoin. So if you buy Bitcoin and you're a government, you're actually making your people worth more, which therefore gives them more leverage. Because your country becomes wealthier. Now, if you're a bank and you're buying Bitcoin, well, you're buying the very asset that is slowly creeping to your own demise. So banks need to evolve and change. Or the rules need to change in some manner, some way. That's why the CBDC is so important for banks and governments. Think about it. By having their own fiat in play in this cryptocurrency world, eliminating the need for stable coins, they can tax on every transaction. They can know what you're spending, what you're buying. They can give you more CBDC. They can take away CBDC, centralized banking, digital currencies, by the way, is what CBDCs are. So why do you see countries shutting down Bitcoin miners and then bringing them back and shutting them down and bringing them back? Well, my thesis is actually very simple. It's a very smart play by governments because since there's this new technology that theoretically every time somebody adopts it and uses it, you're actually you're speeding up the adoption and use of Bitcoin. You're speeding up the adoption and use of these digital banks like Celsius, which give you 10% interest on your USD equivalent per year. So 
If the only thing that they can do is create their own CBDC to get into the cryptocurrency game before it's too late, before everyone is just using Bitcoin, then they need to slow down the adoption of Bitcoin. They need to make it harder for people to buy Bitcoin. This is why I think you see countries like China, India, other places in the world switching their status from on to off when it comes to Bitcoin. I don't think it's just to bring the price down. I think it's to get ready. The digital wand, which is already released, getting people used to the Fed coin. And I'm still formulating my opinions on this. However, I do think a CBDC will have positive use cases as well. There's a lot of people out there that are worried about the CBDC. They think that it will, you know, enable governments to have even more control. Well, this is true. However, if all of the government's leverage was truly taken away from an economical and from a voting standpoint, then there would be a great amount of danger for maybe other countries looking to topple whatever country you're from. This point is definitely true. So you don't want the ruin of society. However, these technologies, make no mistake, are going to make people much more powerful. You have JP Morgan buying Bitcoin. You have El Salvador making it a reserve currency, and then you have institutions. Say what you want about them. But on all sides of the aisle, whether you're a Republican or Democrat, you have big CEOs investing heavy amounts of money into Bitcoin from either side of the aisle. Either side of the aisle. Not only Bitcoin... but other crypto projects as well. It's a big macro game being played out. Some of it, sure, political. Some of it, sure, to protect your own country's affairs. Either way, this is one of the biggest technology shifts in the history of mankind and womankind as well. I think we should all be excited and wary. Of course wary, because wary gives us the ability to to pay attention to what's happening and make proper moves, but excited about seeing this all play out. Now, wary, I don't mean scared. When I say wary, I do not mean scared. 
Instead, vigilant. Vigilant. The next 10 years will be documented in human history. And I feel not enough people realize this. The next 10 years that will be documented in human history could be the greatest and most volatile of times we've ever experienced. The reason I believe this is due to our global political and economic situation. See, the way that the fiat was designed was quite interesting. How do you make money? How do you make an infinite supply of money? Well, you create something that's not really backed by anything that you can continually print more of. Globally, yeah, there's some wars, but nothing like how it was a hundred years ago. Humans have evolved, in my opinion, and we've become more and more peaceful. So, therefore, do I believe that every country is still, you know, all friends and trying to do the best for each other? No, I I don't. I don't believe that. I think that you're about to see an economic sequence of events to a a magnitude where some countries that maybe like Africa for example will rise and other countries that are not ready for this technological shift will suffer or that don't play their cards right will suffer My hope is that a country like El Salvador, which only aims to benefit its people, which had 70% of its entire population unbanked, will not be targeted, but instead acquire wealth and riches from this Bitcoin dynamic. Ethereum and smart contract platforms alike give people the ability to vote on micro issues at a micro scale. Everything can be voted on. Everything can be community owned. No, I wouldn't say this is capitalist in its nature. I would say it's capitalist, but... I wouldn't say I would call it conservative. I wouldn't say I would call it liberal or socialist or communist. I would say it's something new. And that's what I'm excited about. It's a new playing field where we're all part of the same 
momentum. For an organization, the DAO, the Decentralized Autonomous Organization, a DAO is so powerful. You can do it to anything. You can create a DAO about anything. If you are a real estate investor, and let's say there's 40 real estate investors, part of your LLC, and you guys all you know, hedge your risk, you buy many properties. And the thing is, you're all splitting up your risk because instead of investing a million dollars in one property, you're investing, I don't know, $20,000 in 20 or 30 or 40 properties. Now you're spreading your risk, which is really fantastic. Especially when you have a proven real estate model that works maybe 90% of the time and you're picking projects with the 90% win rate. You don't want to have all your eggs in one basket in that case, just in case it's the one. Instead, it's better to play the odds, play the law of average and make sure you're getting 10 at a time. For every one that fails, you're you're making a, a higher return than if you were to bet once and potentially lose because of a 10% risk. Well, with DAOs, it gives you much more influence and power on an individual level. Because instead of just forking over your money to the CEO or whoever's running the operation, all 40 of you can own tokens, which is an asset, into this LLC. You can stake those tokens in the form of your investment. You can buy more tokens. You can sell your tokens. You can gain governance through these tokens and vote on issues that the LLC faces, whether you want to hire or fire a management company, whether you want to pass or say nay on a project. And that's probably, you know, not the best example, but it's a example. What is probably a better example would be taking it to another level. And this is something I'm playing around with right now. This is something I'm making up right now. Your office at work. (laughs) Imagine working at a place where you can buy in your equity for that organization. Something as simple as should we have a water bubbler with our reserve funds could be voted on. Since now you own equity, every time that the reserve fund goes down, you're losing some of that equity. Through the form of tokens, of course, you have your equity. So you care in two different ways. You care because you work there, but you're not just an employee telling the boss what you want. Instead, you're a part owner through a smaller share. These are what DAOs allow us to do. They give us the ability to micro solve, micro vote, while also giving us accountability 
and responsibility in terms of owning the actual upside of the organization that we're part of. See, this is why I say it's no longer a democratic or conservative philosophy because the reality is it makes the needy the ones in charge and it makes the responsible the benefiters. And if you can think about that, if you can ascertain that, then you can ascertain the true potential that blockchain holds for us all. If the person voting on the issue is to gain on the overall organization's success, how do you think they're going to vote? And if you're a business owner, don't you worry. Because (laughs) if you start an idea, if you get the momentum going on a project, what's really fun about these things is you can totally design the tokenomics. Therefore, not only if you're a business owner, maybe someone more aligned like I am, who would love the idea of starting businesses, getting them going to a point where you have employees, where the business is paying them itself, you don't have to worry about that. And they're making decisions to make the business better. But you can actually start something, see it take off, and have itself run itself. And start something else. Imagine if you had an infrastructure that allowed you to start a gym, hire people that were all invested in the gym, and got paid in the form of equity in the gym. They could transfer, swap out into fiat or whatever else they want. Those same people with more equity, the people that work there the longest, you don't have to worry about giving them raises because the protocol will do that. And they can vote as to how big of a raise they will get depending on how many tokens they have. Eventually, the community can also buy these tokens in that gym and decide what they want as well. But guess what? Again, the people using the gym stand to gain only if the gym is successful. And the employees, this will incentivize them to work more. I mean, not work more, but take their share of equity and hold on to it for dear life. Because if the community is running that gym and wanting it to be successful, then they can vote on things like how much some of the employees are making. And remember, if the gym, if the people working out at the gym have four different interests, they have an interest in the success of the gym. They have an interest in the success of them going to the gym. They have an interest in, in, in their own ideological beliefs in the community. And then they have an interest in the employees. Because think about it, can a gym truly be successful without happy and well-trained and incentivized employees? 
So when they vote, do you think that they're going to be selfish and vote on things that completely wipe out the treasury and hurt the employees? No, of course not. Not in their right minds. They're going to be voting on things that will increase the employees' incentives to work there and do a great job. And these proposals can be voted on the blockchain. This is what I mean, folks. We should all be paying attention to what's about to occur. This isn't even VR yet, which I will keep you posted on. This is a very fundamental shift. And the very framework that we've all existed where owner or entrepreneur makes he's responsible for everything and then people stand to gain through his success by having a job no 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 this is where owner creates he's responsible for the initial start Maybe he's, he has management roles in terms of picking people to work for him. But then, the tokenomics do the heavy lifting. Now, a few reasons why this won't happen right away. The most important, first and primary reason, being the safety of doing this. See, we need rock-solid, hack-proof coding language to build these decentralized autonomous organizations. And we're just not there yet. We also need consumer-centric blockchains and fundamental rulebook changes in our regulations in society, as well as scale adoption of blockchain so people can even understand why at Starbucks they can't buy a, a cup of coffee. They have to own a certain amount of tokens and then they can have a certain amount of cups of coffee every single week. That's the, that's the difference. The subscription model is a lose-win. Or a win-win, depending on if you use the subscription. The DAO model is a win-win. Or a quadro-win, depending on if you use the subscription, if you vote on the actual organization, if you care about the actual organization... And if you care about your actual asset, how do you get people invested in their communities? Well, you say that their own money is on the line. Their own money is on the line. The mass scale accountability that DAOs bring and the economic equality, the power of giving to everybody, no matter what scale they are, and giving them a voice. It's something that we all should truly be on board with. The choice to create a DAO is completely yours. Whether you want to run things in the old-fashioned way or do this, it's up to you. However, this could be a decade, this could be a few before these things are truly happening. So, stay vigilant, be excited. This is Jay Crypto, once again. Take care.